This is Tom Hanks. Do you know an undiscovered musician who deserves a break? Well, we have an idea for them. NPR Music is holding a tiny desk contest to find one great unsigned musician to play the iconic Tiny Desk concert series and tour the United States with NPR Music. All you have to do is shoot a video of your musical act playing an original song behind a desk and submit it by January 29th. Learn more at npr.org slash tinydeskcontest. Tom Hanks, you're so dreamy with that nice guy veneer. Thanks for being on the podcast. Now, before we start, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to The Big Listen. If you love the show or even just want to take us out for a platonic coffee date, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps other very attractive listeners such as yourselves find the show. Thanks so much. Now, let's start the show. Corey Padell and Courtney Peroso are comedians living in Los Angeles. And, like so many comedians, they have a podcast. Corey and I, when we would hang out, we would always, like, jokingly say, like, we should have a podcast when we thought we were being so interesting and hilarious. But unlike all you slackers listening at home who always say they're going to have a podcast, they actually did something about it. And so that's thus became our very (laughs) messy, loose, raw, like no format sort of just friendship podcast. They called the show We Should Have a Podcast. And it's mostly them gabbing about life slash freaking out about life slash talking about our eyebrows. But also, we're comedians who are also grappling with life's big questions. They are on a journey of sorts, but not just an intellectual one. Lately, they've been on a physical journey, too, in a car. We got a Hertz rental. Corey got a deal. (laughs) I got a deal. And it's a Hyundai Elantra, and we named her Amy. They're heading to our nation's capital for Inauguration Weekend and all its attendant activity. I'm Lauren Oberen from WAMU and NPR. This is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts you might not have ever heard of, and we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. And this week on the show, we figured we'd give a nod to the presidential inauguration. Hi, this is Courtney. This is Corey, and we are on day one of our road trip to the march. Our pals, Corey and Courtney, wanted to see the whole spectacle for themselves, particularly the Women's March on Washington after the official inauguration. We just crossed over the border from California to Arizona. The weather is 57 degrees outside. Gas prices, $2.45 a gallon. We're going to check in with Corey and Courtney and their rental car, Amy, later in the show to see what's happened on their road trip to Washington. But first, we're going to go on a little journey of our own. Is it recording? Yes, anything you say now may be used against you. My producer, Ponzi, and I headed to George Washington's Mount Vernon estate in Virginia. Where are we going? Main entrance, ticket sales, hallelujah. Here we go. We wanted to get a better handle on the institution of the presidency, because apparently some of us didn't pay attention in eighth grade civics class. Nice to meet you. Sorry, it took us a minute. Hi, Alexis. Ponzi. We are here to meet Alexis Coe, a historian and the co-host of the Audible original show, Presidents Are People Too. 
Uh, yeah, right. They're not people, too. But, you know, I'm willing to entertain the idea. Presidents are people, and people need vacations. Teddy Roosevelt liked to unwind by killing Africa's most majestic creatures. I'm not suggesting you should do that. George W. Bush relieved stress by clearing brush for photographers on his ranch in Crawford, Texas. Nixon would go to his vacation house in Florida, where he used taxpayer money to install a new ice maker that made hole-free ice because Nixon didn't like having holes in his ice. Nixon was a weird guy. And the host and producer... In the series, Alexis and her co-host Elliot Kalin try to show that for most of the American presidents, being the holder of the highest office in the land was only part of who they were. Like, George Washington was not only the model of a modern major general. Did you know that what? George Washington was also a redhead? Uh, uh, no, I didn't, because yeah. in all of the... He looks like he has white hair. The white hair? That was powder. What? Like he put baby powder all over his head, Ooh. which is ridiculous if you think about it, and really messy. And it took quite a quite a bit of time. I mean, it's like pretty vain, you know. It's yeah, it's definitely pretty vain. Um, so I think we have to go through actually there and sort of go in. in okay. Okay. Uh, this is not a terrible view. I mean, we're standing on what the. The, uh, the sort of, what is this, a portico, mm-hmm. um, the back of the mansion right now, looking out over the Potomac. I'm thinking of how the name of the show that you and Elliot Kalen host is called Presidents Are People Too. Yeah, everyone lives in this kind Okay, of house. but they don't because there are like a million bedrooms in that house. What does your house in New York look like? Oh, my apartment in Brooklyn. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, I don't even know the square footage, but I'm sure it's uh, 500 or so. But the thing is, this is property oh. that he inherited from his eldest brother's widow. Um, and that was after waiting for many people to die. Right. And uh, working as a surveyor, uh, supporting his family, taking kind of whatever assignments he could. This was the new world. Anything was possible, but you had to work really hard for it. Right. So he wasn't of the manor born, but right. I mean, at the age of 11, he inherited 10 sleeves. So he also wasn't Ooh. a peanut farmer right. in Georgia. Presidents Are People too. the <laughs> Audible series that I co-host with Elliot Kalin, came about through um, lots of conversations over about 12 years. We're old friends. Oh, boy. And we met when we were 22, 23 in New York. I was going to grad school. He was, I think, like, whatever the lowest position is at The Daily Show. <laughs> and we, because Coffee we... getter. Exactly. We, because we are... And eventually, he, of course, rose to be the head writer. Um, but we would kind of go off into corners and talk about presidents at parties because we are party animals. <laughs> and when he left the okay, daily... Okay, okay. So I've been doing it wrong. I've been doing parties wrong for yeah. like 30 years. That's how you win at parties. <laughs> you go and you talk about presidents and you talk about their lives and their legacies. Um, and that's how presidents are people too came about. Okay. An ongoing conversation that Elliot and I have, usually away from the uh, microphones, is shouldn't have been president like you should have stopped we pick like the moment in time when they should have stopped like harding could have been the greatest small town mayor in america he he resurrected a paper yeah he was a journalist he did good work do you think that harding should have stayed in marion ohio and continued to be a journalist 
you know, I, I think it sounded like from what I've read of Harding that he really used the newspaper as a stepping stone almost from the start. I mean, he was constantly um, keeping his eye out for political opportunities from the start. So I don't think that was ever really his ambition. That's disappointing to me because I had this image in my head of like all the president's men type story starring Harding. Uh, But I guess he wanted to be the president in that story with the scandals and not the reporters uncovering the scandals. Well, I suppose he could have always, if he wanted to have the most spectacular place in American history as the president, he could have been the president who covered his own administration scandals. That would have been amazing. (laughs) And and then he could have blown the whistle on it and um, maybe not gotten reelected, but at least won the Pulitzer Prize if it existed then. Uh, Got the the Pulitzer for his interview of himself. Exactly. (laughs) And instead, he became what's known as one of the worst presidents in our history. Yeah. People from his cabinet went to jail. Yeah. Um, When... um, I did the Jimmy Carter episode. You know, you're outside of Plains, Georgia, and Atlanta, Georgia, and he doesn't have the best reputation, even right. among Democrats, even right. among among liberals. You go there, and he's revered, and I was, I was sitting in his Sunday school class. I love that. So excited, and he gave this, I, I, I don't know if it, it's every week, but what I found to be an incredibly moving um, lesson about cancer and about losing a grandson and about being mad at God and about Syria. I mean, it was kind of all <laughs> over the place. I had this non-religious, religious moment about Jimmy Carter, yeah. which was that he's too good of a person to be president. Oh, Jimmy, you're so wonderful. All right, you're so down. handsome and so refined and polite. Oh, that Southern voice. Oh, I love it. Why don't you just marry him, Alexis? Because he's been happily married to Rosalind for 70 years. <laughs> You've been talking about visiting Carter's hometown of Plains, Georgia, literally since we started this series. So you're either obsessed with peanuts or you're already a pretty big Carter fan. How many presidents return to their tiny, like, rural Southern hometowns after leaving the White House. And then how many of them... Sometimes I think, like, who would ever want that job? Because it literally seems like the worst worst. job in America. Taft certainly found that out. He was much happier as being um, justice of the Supreme Court. Yeah. He he liked to say, I I don't even remember that I was president. (laughs) I mean, that's Kush. Taft had this great phrase in which he said, basically, my plate was just up when offices were falling. And everyone around him wanted him to be president, his parents. um, (laughs) And so they didn't all aspire to it. So Taft just keeps rising up the ranks. And he doesn't want to be president, but he he does it because Teddy Roosevelt basically campaigns for him and is almost like pushing him. Right. I kept reading that he craved love and respect, and he tried to please his friends and families who pushed him, like really pushed him, into leadership roles. Yeah, it's hard to treat Taft's presidency as really anything more than an afterthought in his life, even though it's literally the only reason we're talking about him right now. It's almost like Taft hated his job so much that he was trying to get fired from it from day one. So I guess the moral of William Howard Taft's life is... Don't let people push you around because you might end up president of the United States. That's a weird moral. And now he's best remembered for something that in all likelihood didn't even happen. So my conclusion isn't so much of a conclusion, I guess, as a request, a plea to our listeners. 
presidents are people too, and we shouldn't be fat shaming them. So if we're thinking about George Washington, we're thinking about what was happening at that time when he was president. I mean, everything was so new and people were probably going in a million different directions. And uncertain, and we'd also inspired so many revolutions right. throughout the the world and we had this influx of, of people who were mm-hmm. coming from during the French Revolution. Right. Well, so then, I mean, if you're talking about polarity and you're, you're talking about, you know, political enemies, how then did Washington or what was he able to rise above that or or be a uniter as is this word that we're all obsessed with right now um you know we need to bring the country together but is that so like is there something to be learned from this first president about how you might go about that washington had uh, a mother who ron Trenot has described as crusty <laughs> and he learned from that growing up um, that it was important to control your emotions. And as a result, he's sometimes thought of as distant, like the founding father who's in our pockets but not our hearts sort of thing. <laughs> but his control of his emotions, he would not have been on Twitter. <laughs> he was this imposing man at the time of 6'2", very strong, um, but known as fair and as um, exerting restraint. And people really respected him for that. They trusted him because he didn't have children. He didn't have heirs. Um, He gave up power twice. That's incredible. It was something at the time world leaders could not fathom. And so whether you agreed with him or not, and remember, people were paying more taxes. We were upset about the British taxation without representation, but after we had debts, we needed to start a country. And so taxes were pretty high. Things were not always great. But because of his character, um, when he died, people mourned for months. They were black throughout the country. Napoleon declared that his government mourned for 10 days. (laughs) I mean, he was just revered by, by governments who wanted nothing to do with his yeah. and who did you know were, were opposed in every way right i mean you just look at every part of his life yeah besides where we're standing near the slave quarters <laughs> well right and you think how was he possible Alexis Coe is the co-host of the Audible original show, Presidents Are People Too, along with Elliot Kalin. To find out more about the audio series, check out our website, biglisten.org, or follow us on Twitter at HearBigListen. That's H-E-A-R, Big Listen. Now, remember our friends Corey and Courtney from the top of the show? They're the podcast hosts who were on a road trip to the Women's March on Washington. Well... Their journey has been, hmm, interesting, I would say. First, they saw a psychic in the Arizona desert. She was wonderful. She looked like Janis Joplin. That night, they stayed in an allegedly haunted hotel. Someone suggested that we get that audio analyzed to see if there were ghost sounds in it. We didn't feel anything haunted, but our room was named the John Bon Jovi room. No joke. But the fun didn't stop there. The next day, we I got a speeding ticket, so we had a run-in with the law. A hundred-some dollars later, and the pair were back on the road. After that, they made a pilgrimage to Kosciuszko, Mississippi, 
birthplace of Oprah Winfrey. Courtney was teasing me. I teased her. Okay, because, well, <laughs> it was hallowed ground to me, and I was it was really special, and Courtney could not take it seriously <laughs> and would not let me have my moment. It was really making me laugh to be kind of mean to Corey in that moment. And I'm sorry. I should have gotten – I we were recording it, so it was, like, fun to tease her. Also, it was, like, on the way in that Mississippi is technically between Arkansas and Louisiana. But, like, it, it wasn't, like, that on the way. After that, the pair hit New Orleans and about 27 different bars. From there, they cruised to Montgomery, Alabama, which is where we'll catch up with them in a bit. Now it's time for a super quick break, but when we come back, we'll talk to a Washington Post reporter about how producing her podcast was kind of like an endurance sport. <laughs> it was. Like, it's like you ran like a year-long marathon. Is that how it feels for you? That is absolutely how it felt. It feels actually kind of like I ran a one-week sprint over and over for a year oh. <laughs> that oh. added up to a, you know, ultra marathon. That's coming up in a tick on The Big Listen. Don't go anywhere. This is NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message comes from Blue Apron. Blue Apron partners with sustainable farms, fisheries, and ranchers to bring you all the ingredients you need to create incredible home-cooked meals. Mmm, delicious! Ingredients come paired with an easy-to-follow recipe card delivered to your door weekly in a refrigerated box. Rediscover how fun cooking can be while enjoying specialty ingredients and exploring new flavors and cuisines. What fun! Get your first three Blue Apron meals free, plus free shipping, by visiting blueapron.com slash biglisten. Hi, I'm Kasha from Sarasota, Florida. Um, I'd like to recommend the new podcast called Pod Save America. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. Dan, it's run by um, the same guys from Keeping It 1600. It's a group of former Obama speechwriters and Obama aides. You know, if we elect a Democratic Congress and we beat Trump and elect a Democratic president, like, job's not done then either. You know, you don't you don't just elect. It's, tr- politics is not transactional. You don't just they really give a healthy dose of clarity to current political news um, and they're all just so hilarious hey pals welcome back to the big listen i'm lauren ober and i am dying to know what's on your playlist call us on our very professional pod line and let us know the number is 202-885-POD1 i'm pretty sure you'd sound good on the radio About a year ago, Washington Post reporter Lillian Cunningham came up with a kind of crazy idea. She would profile each American president, one a week, until Election Day. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. What your husband can do for you is day for you to live in infamy. Okay, well, first of all, I mean, I can't believe that we're here at the Teddy Roosevelt <laughs> episode 
finally you started with Lincoln, right. guiding me from Lincoln, <laughs> and now we're all the way at Roosevelt. I, I would love Presidential is not so much about how presidents are real life humans. Um, because sorry, Alexis Co. I don't actually believe that any person would ever want that job. No, presidential is more about how history remembers each of these presidents and how we reinterpret their legacies. And that's why many of the guests on this episode say they continue to study Jefferson, because his big contradiction is America's big contradiction, namely that we believe in liberty and equality but have wrestled throughout our country's history with how to live out that ideal. During Lillian Cunningham's 45 weeks of shows, she learned a lot about our American presidents, like the fact that the mostly forgettable snooze fest Martin Van Buren actually conceived the two-party system we have today, or the fact that James Garfield probably would have been an incredibly influential president if he hadn't been assassinated 100 days into his presidency. So bad luck for him. Lillian Cunningham of Presidential, welcome to The Big Listen. Yeah, thanks for having me back a year later. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We did have you on in early days to talk about the beginning of your epic project, uh, which is kind of like a marathon. (laughs) It was. It's like you ran like a year-long marathon. Is that how it feels for you? That is absolutely how it felt. It feels actually kind of like I ran a one-week sprint over and over for a year (laughs) that added up to a, you know, ultra marathon. Right. Because you basically made 44 episodes of your podcast to correspond with our American presidency. But the numbers are a little because we think, our you know, Donald Trump will be our 45th president. But explain how the numbers actually work, because like one person had like, you know, it's a little confusing for for the lay people. Sure. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it's essentially that Grover Cleveland threw everything off because he served two non-consecutive terms. You know, our numbers, when we say Donald Trump is the 45th president, he's not the 45th man who held the office. He's the 44th man, but it's like the 45th administration, essentially. Right. If that makes sense. <laughs> yes, it it does make sense. But why did Grover Cleveland have to screw everything up? Like, what was his problem? Well, he, you know, didn't get reelected and Benjamin Harrison came in and then the country thought, you know, who we should put back in office? That guy we just booted <laughs> out four years ago. So we did it to ourselves. Like, was Benjamin <laughs> Harrison that bad? No. I mean, he he wasn't, relatively speaking. But, you know... People just, uh, I guess, longed for, you know, four years ago and realized they had kind of made a mistake. But <laughs> they, they longed for a president named Grover. I mean, who wouldn't, yes. you know? I actually, I pulled up your episode list because I wanted to remember all the names of all the presidents. Uh-huh. And I'm totally struck by the fact that, and I, I, I obviously know we have, never had a female president, but just looking at this list of all men is bonkers to me and that you spent so much time with white men. Did you think about that when you were producing these episodes? Well, I thought about it myself from the very beginning. What I did try to, you know, the best of my ability was to find ways into the episodes that still felt 
like they brought diverse viewpoints and stories. Um, so, I mean, one example is for the Franklin Delano Roosevelt episode. I actually did the whole episode through Eleanor Roosevelt's perspective. Mm-hmm. During their time in the White House, Eleanor gave somewhere around 300 radio addresses, which is about the same amount as the FDR did. Um, What were her programs like, and how did they complement or run counter to the sort of radio programming that FDR had? The most stunning radio address she gave was um, December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor Day. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm speaking to you tonight at a very serious moment in our history. And the voice the nation hears first is Eleanor's. It's not FDR's. But yeah, I mean, it was 44 weeks until Barack Obama of um, white men. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot these days, too, because there's a lot of talk about how Trump's presidency is unprecedented. But, you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, what would have been more unprecedented had been to elect Hillary Clinton because, you know, Trump does still follow in the footsteps of, you know, the majority of our American presidents who have just been white Christian males. That's an interesting way to think about it, that if you if you think just from a, a sort of gender perspective, that Trump's presidency or his election wasn't unprecedented. I mean, unprecedented in many other ways. In many other ways, for sure. So... What I'm kind of interested in is sort of the superlatives uh, that you might have might have gleaned from doing a podcast featuring all of the presidents. Who did you feel was like the best oh, president? That is so hard. Millard Fillmore. <laughs> no, I'm joking. You know, I would not say Millard Fillmore, but I I would say that some of the surprises for me were people like James Garfield, who I will admit, I knew really nothing about James Garfield before doing this project. Mr. Garfield been shot down, shot down, shot down. Mr. Garfield been shot down low. Lord, I knew the president was supposed to be at the depot. That's Johnny Cash singing about the assassination in 1881 of James A. Garfield. He was shot in a train station just 100 days after taking office. Um, You know, he hit a runaway slave. He was instrumental in bringing about black suffrage. He was just incredibly promising and I, I truly believe would have been one of our great presidents had he not been killed. If people know anything about him, it's usually just that he was one of our presidents who was assassinated. But it it turned out, I mean, he was a fascinating, extremely intelligent man, a lot of progressive values for the time. So to me, you know, he was one where, you know, it was the first time I had really thought like, wow, there's this president in our history who, who could have been one of our great presidents. But, you know, because of tragic turns of events, you know, has kind of been kick to the the dustbin of our collective memory of our presidents. Well, while you were doing your research and, and producing these podcast episodes, were there any presidents who you thought, you know what, I would love to get a beer with you. You seem like an okay dude. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, the, the sort of trope I used in the podcast was that in every episode I asked historians, you know, very awkwardly what it would be like to go on a blind date with right. each of these presidents. <laughs> right, exactly. So I'll ask you my classic question, which is, 
If I were set up on a blind date with Buchanan. What would FDR have been like on a date? What, what would be like to go on a blind date with Woodrow Wilson? Interesting. And well, and, and he was the last president actually to date. And his first wife died uh, while he was in an office. And then he met and eventually married his second wife while president. So it's not quite like. You know, I think after after going through all of it, my answer is Teddy Roosevelt. It's so hard to imagine how he's a real person. Just the amount of energy he had, the number of things he did in his life, the adventures he went on. So, you know, what would TR be like on a blind date? I asked David McCullough. Like a 110-watt light bulb. He, <laughs> he was full of energy and vitality and bursting with talk and ideas. And here's what Michelle Kroll said. One word came to mind for me about going on a blind date with Theodore Roosevelt, and the word is exhausting. (laughs) In a very good way, though. It takes a particular kind of person to either be married to Teddy Roosevelt or to be his friend or to even be a diplomat in, in his Washington, because TR is just a ball of energy. A lot of the research that you've been doing is sort of on the person's legacy, right? I mean, they're not they're not here anymore. And we're just sort of looking back in time at at what they did and who they were. How do you think a president's legacy is determined or defined? I'm thinking about that because we're, we're talking a lot about, you know, how will Obama, how will his presidency be remembered? You know, what will his legacy be? Yeah. I mean, that to me was one of Probably the, you know, sort of central fascinating question of the podcast is how history has remembered these presidents. And, you know, one story that I think is so fascinating is Woodrow Wilson's, where his legacy has just been kind of on a roller coaster. He was really beloved while he was president and then, you know, sort of fell out of favor, then the League of Nations was passed eventually, and he came, you know, back into favor. And now, you know, a lot of people are really taking issue with his views on race. We ain't leaving. We are love. We are love. Those are the chants of Princeton students back in the fall when they were protesting Wilson's history of racism and calling for his name to come off campus buildings there. For example, there's the Princeton University Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. These legacies are all malleable, and how we view certain presidents is just a reflection on the values that we currently hold. And so right now, we have very different values in terms of race and equality, and so that has cast in very different lights presidents like Woodrow Wilson and Thomas Jefferson And I'm sure in the future there will be presidents right now that we think are great who, you know, future generations will find find flaws with that we're sort of blind to at the moment. Lillian Cunningham is the host of Presidential from The Washington Post. To learn more about the show, hit up our website, biglisten.org. It's time for another quick break, but when we come back, we'll catch up with journalist Ezra Klein about podcasting the 2016 presidential election and why he hopes podcasts are on the playlist in the West Wing. There is just nothing around Trump 
that suggests he seeks out information that might challenge him. And so I would love if he were listening to people who he could build that kind of relationship with. That's coming up next on The Big Listen. Stick around. This is NPR. Listening to the news all week is your patriotic duty as a citizen of America, and sometimes a big pain in the behind. But wait, wait, don't tell me. The NPR News Quiz is your weekly salve. A hard week's news is made a little more palatable by the Wait, Wait crew. And there's a bonus. Tom Hanks is guest hosting the latest episode. You know him, that guy from all the movies. Listen to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me with special guest Tom Hanks on the NPR One app and at npr.org slash podcasts. Hi, my name is Joe. I am from Vienna, Virginia. I'm a big fan of your show. The podcast I want to recommend is one that's called Adventure Rider Radio. These guys talk to these motorcycle riders that do on-road and off-road adventure motorcycling who have traveled the world. You have your bike, your riding license, insurance. Now all you need is a plan. Now, when I say plan, really, I guess I'm talking about excuse slash reason to ride. And those excuses usually begin with, you know, short jaunts. Like you run down to the store to grab some milk, you zip into town to drop the mail. But eventually, at least for many of us, after a while, you begin to feel that urge to ride farther and longer and even keep going. They're just a hoot to listen to. Highly recommend them. And that's it. Have a great day. Bye. Hey pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I would consider it a personal favor if you called and let me know what you are listening to. So ring us on the pod line at 202-885-POD1. I can't wait to hear your voice on our answering machine. All right, it's that time again, friends. It's listen up time. The part of the show where we grill some pretty cool folks about what podcasts they're into these days. And today, it is my pleasure to welcome journalist Ezra Klein to the show. Ezra is sort of a political wunderkind, if you will. He's been blogging about Washington since basically he was in diapers, starting back in 2003. Now he runs the news site Vox.com and is the host of the podcast The Ezra Klein Show and one of the co-hosts of The Weeds. Hello, and welcome to a bonus episode of The Weeds and of The Ezra Klein Show. Let me paint the picture here for a minute. Here's where we are. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, is a president-elect. There's going to be a Republican House and a Republican... So we thought he'd be a good person to put this whole Trump election in perspective for us. Ezra Klein, welcome to The Big Listen. Thank you for having me. Um, so one of the shows that you you co-host, um, The Weeds with um, Matt Iglesias and Sarah Cliff, you guys take deep dives into public policy. And I've been thinking that, you know, in the Trump administration, do you think The Weeds will even matter? Um, not the show, but sort of the general idea of getting in the weeds with, with public policy when sort of the depth of the discussion hasn't really gone beyond 140 characters. So I I very much do. What is about to happen in Donald Trump's presidency 
is a, a candidate and a politician who has operated not at the normal 30,000 feet, but 50,000, 100,000 feet. I mean, his statements on policy are things like, I'm going to repeal Obamacare and replace it with something terrific. <laughs> Sorry. Donald Trump has said he's going to get everybody covered. He's top person, Kellyanne Conway, went on Morning Joe and said, we don't want anybody who's cur- who currently has insurance to lose it. None of the plans you can even think of that Republicans have come anywhere near fulfill that condition. So in some ways, I think the most important thing right now is going to be to watch the details of their policymaking, mm-hmm. because that is that is why this matters. It is why this is not just a reality television show run by Trump, celebrity politician. Mm-hmm. Like the reason we care, the reason it, it, it is important to us is that the president makes policy, and that is what Trump is going to do. And to understand the policy he's making, you need to actually be focused on the details. And the final thing I'll say on this is the thing to watch out for is what Trump wants is distraction. He has a clear pattern when things are getting a little bit hot of tweeting out a battle tweet against Meryl Streep, right. for instance. <laughs> and so the, the most important thing, and I think this happened a lot to the media during the election, is not to get distracted from the real things he's actually doing, which are, are, are very important. What's happening with Meryl Streep and, and Trump, it just doesn't matter. Right. But the folks Trump is nominating to run the Treasury – the details of a replacement plan for Obamacare that could imperil health insurance for 30 million people, it really does matter. And it's not as outside the norms of American politics. So it doesn't grab our attention quite as quickly. But we really do need to be focused on it. Right, right. Um, I wanted to talk to you about podcasts uh, and the role that you think they have, you know, in our evolving democracy. I mean, obviously, this election cycle saw a flurry of shows crop up. And I'm wondering, you know, what impact, if any, you think they had on the election and or how, you know, they will continue to impact this this transition. I think they had zero impact on the election. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I do not think they will heavily affect this transition. I think sometimes we have a tendency in media to uh, discuss it very instrumentally. What will it do? And I don't think that at this point, at least, podcasting more than other forms of media is going to to change the course of history. And I think that's okay. What I do think they are is a place, and I think they have very unusual features that make it this way, is a place where people can have longer, deeper, more uncertain conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's for a few reasons. One is that, and one of the great advantages of podcasting, is that people often do it as a secondary activity. Mm-hmm. I, I listen to podcasts when I walk my dogs, when I clean dishes, when I fold laundry, when I walk to work, uh, when I'm at the gym. And that means I am willing to click in to a much longer, deeper, slower, more rambling conversation than I would ever be able to do if that were my primary attentional focus, mm. right? The kinds of multi-hour interviews that a Mark Marin does, or, or frankly, hopefully that I do on the Ezra Klein mm-hmm. show, you can that just wouldn't work on TV in that way. Right. It would just be it would be too much to ask of people to hold interest that way. So it's created a space, I think, where you can go deeper and get a real sense of people and their ideas and their biographies. Um, and, and so that is meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. The, the second thing is that and I don't fully understand why this is. I came into journalism sort of accidentally. I was a pretty early blogger. I began a blog in 2003 when nobody had ever heard mm-hmm. that word before. And blogging was a very human enterprise. You could really be who you were. Mm-hmm. You could be uncertain. You could try an idea out and say, hey, you know, I haven't thought about this that much, but I'm going to try it here. 
and you tell me if I'm wrong. And you know what? People would tell you you're wrong and you would learn. Something that has happened is, is you go into sort of more traditional modes of journalism and you have an institution riding on you and you represent something to people and other people are affected if you get something wrong, is you have to become much more authoritative, whether or not you feel that way. Mm-hmm. And you have to become a lot more careful and a lot less in some very fundamental way human. And podcasting, for reasons I don't fully understand, is a place where people are still willing to let you be a little wrong, mm-hmm. willing to to hear you because the voice is so intimate. Because when I'm I'm talking this way, you know I'm a human, like you can hear it. <laughs> and people are willing to let you try things out, be a little bit wrong, be a little bit provocative, uh, screw around with an idea. It's a process where in a, a place in a medium that has more potential for learning along with the audience right. than most of the others do right now. And 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 for me, that's very valuable and it's also very fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I wonder if you think our incoming president has ever listened to a podcast. And well, in addition to that, um, what he should be listening to. Uh, well, definitely the weeds in the Ezra Klein show. I think that's pretty clear. <laughs> naturally, um, naturally. Naturally. Uh, I have no idea if he's listened to a podcast. I doubt it. He's reported to not be a big technophile. Um, he's a huge consumer of cable news, which is like the opposite of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of what he should listen to, Donald Trump, one of the dimensions of his personality that worries me the most is he's somebody who really surrounds himself with sycophants. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the moment I always think of like this, and it's worth looking this up if you've never seen it before, it's tradition, it might even be necessary, for presidential candidates and, and nominees to release a note from their doctor. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump managed to release a note from his doctor that sounded exactly like Donald Trump. <laughs> um, it said that Donald Trump has like the greatest stamina of anybody this doctor has ever seen. And he's, I think it literally said he would be the healthiest person ever elected to the office. I remember that. I remember thinking and then looking at him and thinking, how is that even possible? I mean, well, even if it is, even if it is the case that Donald Trump is by some miracle, the literal healthiest person ever elected to the <laughs> office, including mountain biker George W. Bush and basketball player Barack Obama and all the rest of it, even if it's true. This doctor has never examined any of these people. So he has no idea. And and the point I, I want to make on this, it was funny, but it was also serious. The last person around you who you would want to be an idiotic sycophant is your doctor. Like the person you really don't want to have being the, the guy who just tells you what you want to hear in the exact way you want to hear it is the person who gives you medical information. Right. And then around him, Trump has also been, you know, really surrounded himself with folks who back up his own instincts. He does not have in his cabinet um, people who disagree with him. There's no, there's not only no analog to the choice of Hillary Clinton for a job as important as Secretary of State, but there's no analog either to the Republicans who are kept on in Obama's administration like Bob Gates. Right. There is just nothing around Trump that suggests he seeks out information that might challenge him. And so... I would love if he were listening to people who, you know, he could build that kind of relationship with, right? That that, that feeling of intimacy you get in podcasts. I listen to a bunch of folks who, you know, they, they don't really think like me, but I, I appreciate the way they do think. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that he could use a lot more of that around him. But honestly, he could just use that around him. It could come in a lot of forms. It would be good if it came in any of them. Right, right. Um, so you mentioned that you you listened to some shows um, hosted by folks who you might not agree with. What are some of those? Because I think, I think yeah, we do tend to 
whatever camp you're in, fall into a little bit of an echo chamber. And we like to hear our own views reflected back at us. But So what are you listening to? So the truth is, um, when I say that, because I want to be a little bit careful in, in what I'm saying there. I read a lot of people I don't agree with, but I actually don't listen to that many political podcasts mm-hmm. simply because my I spend so much time consuming right, political right. media. Folks I, I listen to who tend to come from pretty different perspectives than me. I'm a big fan of The Tim Ferriss Show. Hello, boys and girls. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show. My dog just got really startled. I'm at home for the holidays, and this episode, like every episode, it is my job to try to tease out the habits, routines, and specifics from world-class performers so that you can test them and apply them in your own lives. He and the people he have on are just coming from a different world and tend to have a very different view of life than Mm -hmm. I do and what is important in life. And I find it valuable to listen to them puzzle through it. Um, I like the podcast You Made It Weird by Pete Holmes. Uh, He's a comedian. He interviews folks, usually, but not always comedians. The title of this podcast is You Made It Weird. So I'm driving over here and I'm thinking, how can I make it super weird? Yeah. (laughs) And be like, what's the weirdest it's ever gotten? (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people, it depends on what you feel weird, you know, doing. I've had people, we've had it out. Um, the long form podcast is great. That has a lot of journals from all over the the ideological spectrum. How do you describe what you do, or how do you describe uh, the kinds of writing you do? I, I was trying to describe it to someone, and I, I said that uh, a Gonzo economist was probably the closest uh, I could come to describing it. Yeah, that, that's an interesting starting point because the answers to what I do and uh, how I write are actually two very different things. Because uh, I'm a fan of the podcast Acquired, mm-hmm. which is in, to to guys think through in really great detail uh, whether different acquisitions worked out, like Marvel. Bu- I'm sorry, Disney buying Marvel <laughs> or Google buying um, Android. Yeah, David, do you think that? Uh, so we've we've kind of talked about like what the point of Android is right now. Do you think that was the strategy when they acquired? Acquired it, and when they started getting into the mobile game, like why was mobile going to be important to Google in 2005? I don't, I don't know, but I, I don't think there was any way anyone could have foretold what was going to happen, you know, in this market. Uh, I think this was a uh, great buy by Google of a really talented team working on some really cool technology that had a lot of potential. But mm-hmm. I, I could keep going. I have, a, I have a lot here on my list. Ezra Klein, uh, host of The Ezra Klein Show and co-host of The Weeds from Vox and Panoply. Uh, Thank you so much for hanging out with us on The Big Listen. Not at all. Appreciate having me on. To learn more about his shows or any of the shows he recommended, check out biglisten.org. It's got the details. Well, we've almost reached the end of this week's episode. No, but yes. But before we let you go, it's time for C-H-R-T-R-A-V-H-Y. Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the iTunes charts. But we are not looking at number one or even number 100. We're looking at number 289, which in an ever-expanding universe of podcasts is actually a really great ranking. This week's 289 is Women of the Hour, hosted by everyone's favorite girl. I'm Lena Dunham, and this is my podcast. She's in all places. I feel like she's producing like every TV show. She's in every movie. She has every podcast. I don't know. Maybe she isn't doing any of that stuff, but she does have a podcast. And um, I listened to an episode, so they're all thematic episodes, and I chose to listen to the Lena Dunham Cat Radio Show, an episode all about cats, 
because I was like, well, I'm definitely not going to like this one. Like, I almost hate listened to it. But, of course, I was totally proven wrong because I really liked the episode. Um, it featured celebrity cat monologues. Um, and there was one that was done in the voice of Melanie Griffiths and Tippi Hedren's childhood lion um, named Neil. Uh, hey, I'm Neil. Uh, apparently, they did actually have a lion <laughs> What's up? Um, living on their property. Uh, and Melanie Griffiths grew up with him and snuggled with him in the bed or something. So Mel, uh, Mel was a super sweet gal. And then what else? Oh, Lena, um, Lena interviews her boyfriend, who's a musician named Jack Antonoff, about why he hates Cats, the animal, but actually loves Cats, the musical. The cats in the musical Cats are unlike any cats, any real cats that I've ever met. Um, yeah, I really, I wanted to dislike it so much, but it's really well done, and um, there's not a live Lena in it, which I guess maybe is why I like it. I don't know. Uh, Women of the Hour, Lena Dunham's podcast. I wanted to hate it, but I liked it. Would you believe me if I told you that this podcast is a free weekly thing that you can get delivered to your digital device every single week and all you have to do is hit subscribe to make it happen oh what a bargain go to itunes or npr one or any fine purveyor of podcasts to subscribe as always we love us some listener feedback so like us on facebook and or follow us on twitter we're at here big listen that's h-e-a-r big listen so follow us because we're pretty fun on twitter and if you want to send us love notes, our electronic mail address is biglisten at wamu.org. Special thanks this week to listener Lindsay for suggesting the show, We Should Have a Podcast. So you can be like Lindsay and give us a recommendation. And then we'll thank you on the radio, whatever. Are you looking for show notes with all the links to this week's featured shows? We'll fire on up our website, biglisten.org. It is all there. Or subscribe to our official newsletter. There's a link on the website. The show was produced, mixed, and edited by Jacob Fenston with a big lift from our favorite millennial, Ponzi Rutch. I, Lauren Ober, was wandering around the National Mall trying to find my mom. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Special thanks to Rocket in Training, Beck Feldhaus Adams, for helping out. David Schulman composed the theme music. Other music in the show came from Army Navy, the band, not the store. The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man, J.J. Yore, and is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. And now a final word from Corey Podell and Courtney Peroso, co-hosts of We Should Have a Podcast, about the impetus for their epic road trip to Washington, D.C., and what they learned along the way. I think it felt like wow, this is such a critical time in America. So maybe in order to digest, it would help us to sort of drive through all these different places, have encounters with strangers in all these different states. They weren't entirely certain what they'd find as they traveled across the country. I thought people would look at me, know I was Jewish, and run me off the road into a ditch. Like, that was my prejudice coming into it. And I was totally wrong. You know, everyone has been so lovely and nice. I mean, except for the man who tried to mm -hmm. break into our hotel room. But... <laughs> I mean, he apologized. He did apologize. Yeah. He was, he did. It was the wrong, wrong room. Their biggest road trip takeaway about this country? 
It's just beautiful. America is beautiful. Sorry, don't use that. I hate myself. Oh, my God. (laughs) Till next time, keep listening, America. This is NPR. Are you still here? Seriously, get out of here. The show's finished. Okay, but before you do leave, why don't you drop us a little review on the iTunes? It really helps. I can't tell you how much it helps other people, very attractive listeners such as yourselves, find the show. So go review us, please, and thank you.